We are in the last message of this series as we've gone through summer. We started this back in June because it really was convinced as, as the, the one responsible for leading and, and teaching that we as a church needed to find a way back. We needed to clear some of the clouds. We needed to get our heads straight uh, as a church and as individuals. We needed to, to figure out how what we believe and what we've learned and what we've lived for works its way into a year of crazy. And what I came to in the foundation of it was that we need to remember who we are. We are a people of hope. And we should be a church that feels like it's filled with people of hope. And because of that, we share hope with people around us who are desperate for hope and are willing to try just about anything, literally willing to try just about anything, to find some reason to hope in their life. Ultimately, all of the things that we've discussed this summer wind their way down to what we're going to talk about today. And it's ironic, and yet it's a, a, a evidence of the Spirit that this was not a message that was originally one of the messages I had for this series. And then towards the end, I was just like, okay, we're going to end with this. But I really believe, as I studied for this week, that what we did all summer come down to what we're going to talk about today. All of the things that we've talked about are about what it takes to do this, to hold on to hope. Last week we talked about read and pray, and I challenged you every day for seven days to read and pray. And those of you who did it are going to be able to testify in your own soul that these things, like reading your Bible and praying every day, help you to hold on to hope. We started the series by talking about gathering, giving, and serving. Those flow right into this. You are not the Holy Spirit. Put your trust in Him to be the Holy Spirit. Follow Jesus because where Jesus is going is where you want to be. Share Jesus because sharing Jesus is one of the greatest privileges we have. Love others like crazy. Improve the conversations that you're in. Instead of constantly feeling like the conversations are crushing you, find a way to improve it through the power of the Spirit. Look for the Spirit's promptings in doing good around you in your life and find the pathway where He has for you to be involved and engaged in the good that he wants. Last week we talked about read and pray. From my limited viewpoint, as I observe the world, as I observe our church, as I observe my own life, I would say much of what has gotten the church off track, much of what, what has gotten us off track as believers is the lack of an appropriate confidence in our God. And I hope that today that becomes apparent to all of us. Because when believers have a confidence that our God reigns, that Jesus is Lord, that He's the one who raises the dead to life, man, we're different people. Right? It pours out of us. We can interact with a chaotic and troubled world without getting lost, without getting hopeless, without falling into despair. But when we're flooded with crises and information and very few, honestly, very few practical things that we can do that actually make a difference, we start to short circuit. And our souls start to, to, to shake and tremble. We start to spin and spin. So what we've done this summer is try to regrip the things that allow us to live 
with hope. A hope that's not cross your fingers and I hope it happens. A hope that has a confidence that the God of the universe is in charge and that He is good. That is transforming and life-changing. So I'm saying today, let us be people who hold on to hope. Hold on to hope that you need your church family. Even when they're weird, even if they disagree with you, even disagree dramatically with you, and even if they're frustrating, even if they're in process and they're growing, hold on to hope that you need your church family. You need their thoughts. You need their perspective. You need their love. You need their prayer. You need their partnership. You need their companionship. Don't let a weird year of chaos convince you that your hope was wrongly placed in what God has given you in your church family. Hold on to hope that the struggle you are in is worth it. That you are not doomed to be some lesser class believer. That God is at work in your struggle. Hold on to hope that God is actually doing a work. That in the day-to-day mundane and the boring, it's not something to run from and it's not something that's just wasting your time, but that God is doing a work of eternal glory even in whatever you're called to do today. Hold on to hope. Be people who are filled with hope. Hold on to hope that the way the world seems to be going isn't an indication that you need to do something about it or all will be lost. Hold on to hope that God is still in control and that the end is exactly the same as He always told us it was. Hold on to hope that your children aren't going to be overrun by the problems and challenges of their time that God made them for this moment. And God made you to parent them as they need for the struggles they will face, for the callings God places on their lives. Hold on to hope that your failings and your weaknesses aren't a sign that you're never going to be set free, you're never going to experience deliverance, that God is probably just frustrated and done with you like you're frustrated with yourself. Hold on to hope that that is not true, that God is for you that God is with you, and God will bring you through. So, hold on to hope. We're just going to look at three passages today. If you have your Bible, we're going to start in Psalm 27, then we're going to spend a little bit of time in 1 Samuel 17, and then we're going to Romans 5. So, if you have your Bible, you're welcome to turn with me. Start at Psalm 27, because I think the first thing we're going to talk about in holding on to hope is something that we choose. We are called to choose hope. And I'm reading from a psalm that David wrote here. I'm going to read the last two verses of it. So we're going to find out where it ends. Then we'll talk about how he got there. So uh, Psalm chapter 27, verses 13 and 14, it says this. I remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. Do you see the choice? I remain confident of this. I will see the goodness. So wait for the Lord. Take heart. Be strong. Wait for the Lord. This psalm comes at the end of a psalm that starts with some very piercing questions. The psalm begins with, 
Whom shall I fear? Of whom shall I be afraid? And he's not just asking it with like his chest puffed out like, who's going to bother me? He's asking like, I can see a lot of people to fear. Which one should I be afraid of? In the psalm, David goes through about the wicked who want to consume him, about armies advancing against him, about days of trouble. It is basically representation of a person who looks around and sees a dangerous world in chaos, filled with evil, filled with lies, ready to pounce on the the vulnerable, to destroy those who are gods, those who put their trust in the Lord. David looks around and that's what he sees. Did anybody ever feel like that? Like maybe this world is going to swallow us up if we don't like find a way to take a stand and step up and open our eyes. And David looks around and his solution at the end of this psalm is to declare faith. And by inspiration, what he's telling us is that when we choose faith, it actually leads us to a real and living hope. It is a choice that I'm saying we can make today and tomorrow and the next day. And you know why? Because the same God that David is talking about is the exact God who is right here, right now. He is no different. He's not tired. He's not exhausted. He's not bored. He's not done with you. He hasn't moved on. He is right here, right now with us. The same God That was David's hope. As I read those verses of his final response to the chaos and the danger in the world around him, he says, almost defiantly, I remain confident. You can almost feel like there are forces that want to pull me away from this confident, but no, no, no. I remain confident, even though all this looks bad, even though I can't seem to clear my head of what could happen, or what did happen, or what might be happening. No, I remain confident. This is where I stand. This is what I believe. This is what's going to influence how I think about life, how I talk about life, how I live life, because I'm going to be a person who lives in hope. Enough hope that, verse 14, I can wait on the Lord and be strong and take heart in the meantime because I remain confident. And that confidence, like, I'm not doing this like, I hope God comes through. Or like, God, why haven't you come through yet? Is it that you're not going to? No, confident. I am sure because I have weighed all this out. And from the depths of my soul, I look at the evil around me, the trouble around me, and I put it against the God who holds me. And I see that the God who holds me is absolutely someone that I can have confidence in. His confidence even breeds back in the the psalm to, He has heard my prayer. That God has heard me. Like sometimes our confidence is so weak that we're not even sure God is listening. Now wonder we're people who don't have hope. If God's not even listening to you, what hope do you have? David says, no, just because everything hasn't gotten right right now, it doesn't shake my faith that God is listening to me, that he has heard me, that he cares. Because of that, I will see. 
I believe I will see his goodness. It will be real. It's not just an imagination. It's not just a wish. I believe I will see. I don't know when, so I'll wait for it. But I will not lose confidence that I will see God show his goodness in my life. And he says, in the land of the living. Like, I know we have a hope someday, someday down the road, we're going to get to heaven, it's got to be all okay. David says, yeah, that's good, but that's not what I'm talking about. I believe in my life, I will see his goodness. It may not be that he fixes the thing that I'm praying about because that may not be the thing. But I believe God is so good that his goodness is going to come through. It's going to come shining through. There's nothing going to stop it. I remain confident of this. David's being an example to us. But, you know, it's David. I mean, can normal people do this? Clearly, David is some kind of super person. I'm just a regular person. So can normal people do this? Well, in order to answer that question, what I want to do is I want to go back to 1 Samuel 17, where the story of David really begins. And I want to look at how David, the normal person, before he was King David, because before he wrote all the Psalms that we know, when he was just David, the youngest that nobody thought much about, this is, this is where we figure out how we can have the same confidence that David had in the same God that David had. One of our core values is that the people of God need to walk by faith and not sight. It informs everything that we do because sight will tell you one thing, but faith will tell you something else. It informs how we budget our money. It informs how we challenge our people. It informs how we direct our ministries. It informs everything we do because faith is how we engage God. We believe that so much of what God wants for us in this life, the life he wants to give us, comes from this simple choice. Walk by faith and not by sight. It's a choice that we make, and it comes from trusting God versus trusting what I see. So when you're troubled, when you're stressed, when you're worried, where are you looking? Walk by faith, not by sight. I am looking at what I see instead of who I trust in. If we want to hold on to hope, we have to walk by faith. And that's where David's story starts. I know this is a story many of you are familiar with. But I'm sure some of you have never actually read it. We're not going to read the whole thing because it's very, very long. But it's a great story. That's why so many of you know it. And it tells us how David gets to a place like Psalm 27. Because this is the way he chose to live his life. And I would say as we read this, this is the way you can choose to live your life too. All right, so 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 4 says this. A champion named Goliath, who was from Gath, came out of the Philistine camp. His height was six cubits and a span. So there's the nation of Israel, and there's the nation of the Philistines, and they are at war with one another. And one of the soldiers from the Philistines is this guy, Goliath. And when it gives that that measurement, six cubits and a span, it tells us he was over nine feet tall, which is why he is called a giant. Nine feet tall. And we're talking about sight versus faith, right? 
So there's a reason why Goliath is so big. There's a reason why he's the one that comes to intimidate and threaten and taunt Israel. Pick up with me, verse 8 to 11. It says this, Goliath stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why do you come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine, and are you not the servants of Saul? Choose a man and have him come down to me. If he's able to fight and kill me, we will become your subjects. But if I overcome him and kill him, then you will become our subjects and serve us. Then the Philistines said, This day I defy the armies of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. On hearing the Philistines' word, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. He comes out to taunt. Look at me. Who's going to fight me? He's taunting them. I defy you. Come out and fight me. Verse 22, David left his things with the keeper of supplies, ran to the battle lines, and asked his brothers how they were. As he was talking to them, Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, stepped out from his lines and shouted the usual defiance, and David heard it. Whenever the Israelites saw the man, they all fled from him in great fear. Natural reaction. A giant has come out and said, let's fight one-on-one. And whoever wins, that will be the whole battle. You will become our servants or we will become yours. But the kind of like wink, wink, joke, ha, ha is nobody's going to beat me. And you can see it with your eyes. From what they see, it tells them that they can't win. There's no argument from anyone in Israel that it is a foregone conclusion from what they see that Goliath will win. And if we stop there for one moment, there's a real correlation to the things that happen in our lives. The hopelessness we feel. The places where we've watched news for however many hours, or we've read another article, or we've had another conversation, or we've just laid in bed wondering and worrying and thinking. And it all makes so much sense with eyes what we see. Clearly we're doomed. The Philistines ran and hid as though that would deliver them. Clearly, that was not the method of deliverance. Even if they thought it would keep them alive, they were still servants of fear. We've run and hid. We've argued out of fear. We've chosen sides out of fear. We've taken our fear out on others. But it's because we're living by the feel that comes from what we see what we've measured with our eyes, what we've measured with our humanity. But David's story is not one of running in fear. His is a story of victory. And it's because he has a confident hope. And it doesn't come from what he sees. It comes from what he believes. It comes from what he knows is true in spite of what everybody else thinks. And there's a whole army of people trained to fight that look out at Goliath and go, this is over. And David goes, yeah, it is. Faith or sight. Verses 41 to 47. Meanwhile, the Philistine with his shield bearer in front of him. By the way, in the meantime, David volunteers. I'll go fight him. The Philistine with his shield bearer in front of him kept coming closer to David. He looked David over and saw that he was a little more than a boy, glowing with health and, and handsome, and he despised him. 
He said to David, am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Come here, he said, and I will give your flesh to the birds and to the wild animals. As you can almost picture this, they walk down into the valley and the Philistine says, look at me and look at you. This is over. I can't wait to rip you apart and give your body to the wild animals. This is over. And David agrees. Verse 45, David said to the Philistine, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day, the Lord will deliver you into my hands, and I will strike you down and cut off your head this very day. I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. And all those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's, and He will give all of you into our hands." Now, you feel that, right? That's what's been missing this year. The battle is the Lord's. You think it's all about this thing or that thing? Let me tell you something. I don't care what you think it's about. I know this. My God has me, and I am here for his kingdom, and I am working. You're not going to distract me into arguments about whether it's a sword or a spear or a javelin. I don't care because it's not about that. That's what we need because that's what registers with the world and that's what registers with one another. That confidence has been getting sucked away as though God is less than who He is. As though we've lost some of our security because the world's in chaos. How do we, keep, how do we hold on to it? We've just spent the summer talking about how you hold on to it. But the point is, all of those things are just exercises unless they bring you to this confidence in God. Looking at a giant, but seeing God's power. Looking at a giant full of confidence with every reason to be, you come at me with a sword and spear, but David has a different confidence and he knows that his confidence will not be shaken. I come in the name of the Lord. So many who expected to fight, who prepared to fight, who gathered to fight, forgot why they fought and who was on their side. And believers, I think that's where we got off track. Everyone around sees that we have forgotten who's on our side and why we're even in the fight. We have made it about so many things that it is not about. And our impact on the world gets nullified because we act like what we see is the full story. You and I have chosen to believe that the God of all power is in charge. That there is a purpose to our calling. That His kingdom will come. And He will empower us for each day. This is what we've chosen to believe. 
So let our words and our actions, let our thought life, even our stress and worry life, bow to the truth that we believe. Let us be people who have confidence like David. David did not have confidence because he was an experienced warrior. David had confidence because he was convinced about God. And you don't have to have confidence because you got it all figured out, because you have all kinds of knowledge and all kinds of understanding, or because everything looks good. But you can have confidence because you know who you're trusting. And that confidence can carry you no matter what. David had confidence enough to go after a giant who was probably double his size with just five stones. And it only took one stone. Many believe that David picked up five stones because later on in in 1 Samuel, we believe we find out that Goliath has four brothers. So he had a stone for each of them. Now think about the confidence of that. Think, now this is a different, this is a supernatural confidence because David's like this. We go into that battle and we're like, man, I just hope I make it through the battle. David's like, I don't know how many battles God wants to win today, but I'm ready for all of them. We're like, oh no, this battle, I hope I just make it. God, just help me survive this day. Where is our confidence? And does it measure up to the God that we serve? Does it breathe life into our soul? Verses 48 to 51. As the Philistine moved closer to attack him, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet him. Reaching his hand in his bag and taking out a stone, he slung it and struck the Philistine on the forehead. The stone sank into his forehead and he fell face down on the ground. So David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone. Without a sword in his hand, he struck down the Philistine and killed him. And David ran over and stood over him. He took hold of the Philistine's sword, drew it from the sheath. After he killed him, he cut off his head with the sword. When the Philistines saw their hero was dead, they turned and ran. One young man held fast to hope, and that faith brought deliverance. And he lived in that faith for the rest of his life. He walked in faith because he walked in faith. He had a living and powerful hope that changed how he lived. There are some times where God shows us his power. You see it. There it is. There's sometimes where we just have to believe that God is the God of all power. You say, well, that's fine for David. It's fine for the Sunday school store, but this is real life. What about my real life? I'm telling you this. This is not just for David. This is not just for Bible heroes. This is for you. The men and women we read about, we read about them largely because they stepped into the hope that God offers us, and we have that same hope. So let me just assure you from the Word of God, and let me just assure you from the history of God's people for thousands and thousands of years, let me just assure you from my own personal experience in my own life and in watching the lives of people in our church throughout all kinds of situations and all kinds of years, you are not wrong to hope in the Lord. Your confidence is not misplaced. Hope does not put us to shame. Paul says it like this in Romans chapter 5. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. In verse 5, and hope does not put us to shame. 
Because God's love has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. You will never be sorry that you believed God was able. That you believed God was good. That you lived with a confidence in Him. You will never be sorry about that until you give up that hope. The only way that you regret trusting the Lord is because you don't trust the Lord anymore. And by the way, most of the time that comes from suffering. But I don't know if you caught this. He says, we glory in our sufferings because we know suffering produces uh, perseverance. Perseverance produces character. Character produces hope. So did you catch that? As I go through suffering, what it ultimately produces in my life is hope. What? Does that, is that what suffering is producing in you? Or is suffering producing doubt? Worry, fear. How does it produce hope? By faith. That I say, God, I know this is going on, but I know you have it. God, I know there's a purpose. I know that you're poured, your love is poured out, so I know you're good. I know you're here, and I'm just going to keep walking by faith, trusting in you. We will see God's power unleashed in our lives as we live as people of hope. So here's what I'm saying. When life is telling you to give up, when everything seems hard and hopeless, when God does not seem to be good to you, when you're convinced that it will never, ever get better, be a person of hope. You don't have to be, but you won't like not being. The question is in front of you, hope or don't. Confidence in Almighty God or some mix of panic and cross your fingers. Try to work it out. We don't get to choose what comes our way. Trials, suffering, pain, loss. We don't get to choose it, but we do get to choose how we face it. Do we have a confident hope? And will we live in it? As we live in it, it fills us up and it spills out. And so I'm going to end this series where I started it. Romans chapter 15, verse 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in Him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's pray together. Father, this morning, we are in your presence. We are being reminded of the reason and the calling and the ache in our heart to trust you. So help us to do that. Help us to have confidence in you no matter what is going on, what could happen, what has happened. Help our confidence to grow. If there are things that, as we've talked about this summer, that we need to begin doing, habits that need to take hold, things that we need to value that we've shoved off to the side, help us to see it and to, to pull it in so that our hope in you can be strong. Because we don't know what's coming. But it doesn't matter what's coming if you're with us. So Father, convince us as your people. Let us be people 
who are filled with joy and peace as we trust in you so that we will overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.